Well, good morning. We had a good week this last week. We had Trunk or Treat on Wednesday night, and I appreciate so much all the effort and the coordination that went into that. I know Allison was kind of spearheading that, and all of those who, who helped out, and of course Meredith and Ann, and I'll give Meredith probably most credit for cooking that chili and hot dogs, but... Uh, and made sure it was done on time, so we appreciate that. <laughs> but a uh, good week, and then Thursday we went out to Glenview, and so we were able to go do our monthly pantry there, and we delivered the socks uh, that you have donated, and so that was uh, thankfully received. And so the, the plan there is they're going to divide those up among the classrooms because it is very common for a child to come to school with no socks. And so they're going to give those to the teachers and let the teachers be able to distribute those as, as the needs come up uh, in their individual classes. So we appreciate that uh, very much. And uh, we're looking forward to our holiday boxes that we're going to do in December. So more information will come out in the next couple of weeks. But over the last uh, handful of years, we've been doing food boxes for Glenview uh, to, to kind of sustain that, that period of time between the Christmas break and the New Year's when there's no pantry that's going on because school is out. And so we'll be doing that uh, in the next uh, few weeks. And so uh, listen for that and uh, be ready to participate and decorate your box again this year. So every time we go to Cummins Prison to, to conduct a worship service, I, I look into the faces of those men who come to the service there, and I can't help but wonder, what was their childhood like? You know, we see them at this particular stage of their adulthood, and I just wonder, what was life like for them growing up? And it's easy to assume that because they're guilty of a crime, that that's, it's a product of their environment. It must have been a troubled childhood. That must have been what led them to this place. Maybe they were a troubled teen. Maybe they lost their way as, as a young adult. And it's even a, a, a tempting to assume that maybe they had an absentee father. Maybe that was the, the, the problem for them. Or their mother died when they were young. Or, or maybe their father was an alcoholic. And so they, they may be abusive. And so all of these thoughts, can, these stories can, can go through your mind. You know, and, then, and then you hear the evening news reports about crime in, in central Arkansas and in our city and Little Rock here. And so we jokingly use phrases like, well, he's a product of his raising, or she, she doesn't stand a chance in that home. You know, we think about uh, the, the, the environments that somebody grows up in. And, and while environment and, and your peer group and, and parental influence or, or, or lack of parental influence, while societal labels and maybe economic status, educational weaknesses that, that some folks find themselves in or even governmental systemic corruption. Even while factors like these can certainly influence us and influence the path that each one of us may find ourselves on, there is one thing that each of us can control. It's common to all mankind. And that's choice. That's a choice. We have a choice. And so while those men I was thinking about are are locked away in prison... I'm roaming freely out here on the planet today. Why is that? Why is that? It's not because they're more evil than I am. It's not because they're more prone to sin than I am. It's because we've made different choices. We've made different choices. And even though I may say, well, maybe it's easier for me to say no or or say yes along the way than it is for them, the choice has still been there. The opportunity has still been there. And so one of the most powerful connections throughout the the, the history of humanity is our ability to choose. 
and make that choice. And while the scope or, or the variety of choices might be more narrow for some, we each choose for ourselves. We cannot blame anyone else for the choice that we individually make. And so, with that in mind, I want you to think about a hill called Mount Calvary. And I want you to think about where Jesus was crucified. But it's not the image of Jesus I want you to fixate your mind on right now. Because on His right and on His left are two figures. Shadowy figures in detail, but forever a part of the greatest scene ever viewed in human history. And so we're going to be in a couple of different places this morning. In Matthew and Luke, we're going to start in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and beginning in verse 32, we read that two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So what was their crime? What was their crime? Well, Matthew, when you look at Matthew's account, Matthew tells us they were thieves or bandits. That's the terminology he uses. And so the, the, the Romans didn't care about petty theft. They didn't care about that. Especially they didn't care about petty theft within the Jewish community. They didn't care about any of that. However, they did care about theft of Roman property. And they did very much care about peace and order within the, the, the Roman province that they were in charge of. And so, in order for these men to find themselves on a Roman cross, which was the absolute worst, most terrifying, brutal form of capital punishment carried out by the Romans, their crimes must have been capital offenses. And they must have threatened the order of the empire. So here's what Matthew says. This is Matthew chapter 27 and verse 39. He says, "...those who passed by defamed Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, you who can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself." If you are God's Son, come down from the cross. And in the same way, even the chief priests, together with the experts in the law and the elders, they were mocking Him, saying, He saved others, but He can't save Himself. He's the King of Israel. If He comes down now from the cross, we'll believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let God, if He wants to, deliver Him now, because He said, I am God's Son. And the robbers who were crucified with Him also spoke abusively to him. And so what a, a chaotic scene these men find themselves sharing the stage with here on these crosses. So how do you react when you get hurt? When you hurt yourself or you know, physically hurt? So maybe, maybe you stub your toe or you, you hit your elbow. How, how do you react? You step on something when you're barefoot, you know, something that, that's sharp or pointy. Maybe you burn your hand. How do you react? Are you a laugher? <laughs> Are you a laugher when you get hurt? Are you a crier? You know anybody like that? Do you get that initial moment of anger or rage that comes over you when you're hurt, you know? Maybe it only lasts, lasts for a few seconds or maybe a few minutes. So, so Matthew, being a Jew, really wants to emphasize, as he, as he retells this story here, the, the degradation of crucifixion in light of Jesus being God's chosen deliverer. Just how impossibly... This, this whole scene presented itself. If this is God's chosen, 
How could it be that he's up here on a cross? So, so Matthew's trying to paint a picture of just how unimaginable this is and just how degrading it would have been for Jesus, who at, at the sound of his voice, even the thought in his head could have ended all of this and God would have sent the entire realm of heaven down to rescue him. So not only is crucifixion the most horrible death you can suffer at the hands of a human in the fact that Jesus is an innocent man, but even the real criminals are heckling him while he hangs there in agony. And so these criminals in their own moment of of hopelessness and pain, they, they lash out at Jesus who's in no better physical shape than they're in. And so I want you just to think about the state of mind of these two thieves here on this cross. And so Matthew's purpose in writing is to show just how widespread the rejection of Jesus was. It wasn't just from the highest religious pedestal. It was the lowest, most miserable criminal who was rejecting Jesus. That even the most hopeless criminal would reject the Son of God. But Luke, on the other hand, as he writes this and retells this story, he illuminates a perspective that's, that's different from Matthew. Because Luke's purpose is not to emphasize the rejection of Jesus, but his purpose is to, to lift up the universal purpose of Jesus' sacrifice. And so it's, it's not, Jesus' sacrifice was not to condemn the world, but that the world, condemned by its own choices, might be saved through Him. And so Luke includes these specific details from the same scene that Matthew paints for us. This is Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked that one. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so in in, in what for all intents and purpose was the darkest hour of humanity, Jesus still shone this glimmer of hope for what was yet to come. And this unnamed man, this nobody, this condemned criminal finds himself face to face with the grace of God. And so instead of the, the, the bitter palate of regret and death that you would expect in this, this scene here, this man receives a taste of sweetness, this forgiveness and hope that God instills. And so why is that? How is that? How is it possible? It's because of a simple choice that he made. And so we've been talking about repentance in Scripture and, and, and how it's, it's the attitude of the heart which, which God's grace works to defeat the, the old self that's within us. And so it's a change, it's a reordering of the way that you think about sin and the way you think about life. It's a reframing of our minds. And so when you change your mind, you change your direction and then God will change your future. And so here is this man inhaling the last breaths of his life, accepting the, the, the Spirit of God's call to repentance and acceptance of the forgiveness of God. And so while Jesus' disciples were abandoning the Lord, this man was drawing near to Him. And yet, where is the proof? Where is the proof? If Jesus actually said, not everyone who calls Me Lord 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If he said that, you've got this man stuck to a wooden cross under an armed guard. What of God's will can he accomplish hanging there on this cross? What good deeds can he perform in his miserable state? What proof can he demonstrate of his faith? Well, Matthew tells us that this man began, began casting insults at Jesus, right? When we read Matthew's account, as we did, both the criminals were casting insults at Jesus. And so I, I expect that the recorded events are just a sampling, just an inkling of what continued to occur at the cross in the duration of that crucifixion. This was ongoing. This was for these whole span of hours that Jesus hung there. He was being insulted and ridiculed. And I can imagine that between these, these writhes of pain, these men inserted their disgust through these condescending comments. But something changed. Something changed during those six hours of torment. He changed. And now he's calling out the other criminal. And so Luke goes on in verse 40 to say, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you were under the same sentence, we're all punished justly. We're all getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So in whatever frame of thinking that he found himself, which led to this riding, this spiral of choices to death on a cross, whatever frame of thinking got him to this point in the course of just a few hours, dying in pain nonetheless, miserable pain, he goes from heckling Jesus to hailing Jesus. And so he must have experienced the life of Jesus somewhere, somehow along the way in these last three years that Jesus has, has been involved in what we call his public ministry. And so either maybe by direct observation in a, in a crowd or perhaps he, he heard the retelling of the miraculous events but from someone else who witnessed it. Maybe observing Jesus humbly accepting the torture of this cross and this crowd. Maybe that's what, what tickled his heart. The Spirit of God tickled his heart through, through his observation and, and convicted this man. And now this convict becomes convicted of the greatest truth, that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. And so then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this phrase that he uses here, remember me, indicates that, that this man was submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. He wasn't asking Jesus to just include me in, Jesus, include me in a campfire story when you come to your kingdom. Tell people about the dude that hung on the cross with you. That's not what he's asking. Or he might retell his encounter he had with this pitiful thief who was punished for his crimes. This man was asking Jesus to accept him. Not for who He has been, but for who He wants to be. And this is repentance. And so you can't say that though. You can't say that. I mean, you don't know, how do you know that? Just these few words He mumbles here. Well, you're right. You're right. But I can know it from the few words that Jesus proclaims. And so Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with Me in paradise. So in verse 41, this man confesses his sinfulness. He says, we're getting what we deserve. He's telling the other thief, you need to shut up. Because we deserve to be up here. He doesn't. We made choices that brought us here. He did not. 
And so he acknowledges Jesus' power to redeem him, Jesus' power to change him, and to create of him someone worthy of, of, of being a kingdom resident. He acknowledges that. And now Jesus affirms his change. So Jesus had nothing to present to this man while they're up on this hilltop. Jesus had nothing to offer him as he's hanging on that cross. He's no immediate relief, but by faith, this man believed that Jesus had more to offer than he could presently comprehend. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we know this great chapter of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. And what an evidence of faith here. While, while he was feeling the, the, the effects of his sin, he was also anticipating the joy of his faith. Because here's the deal. Repentance does not eliminate the emotional and the physical consequences of our sin. It does not. But what repentance does is it puts an expiration date on those. See, Jesus paid an eternal price for our sin. And it was by His resurrection that we received the insurance that sin will have no hold on us beyond the physical realm of this life. Not our sins, nor anyone else's. No effects beyond this life. That's the expiration date. And so that's the gospel message. This is God's good news, which, which Jesus came to preach and He came to pass along. And so this man was a unique person. He was a unique person in a unique situation. But sinning is not unique. And this man was not a worse sinner than those apostles who were hiding while their Lord was dying on a cross. No different than today. See, the people of Jesus' day had, had conversations about the atrocities of life. They sat around and talked about how, how bad the world was. And, oh, you remember when this terrible thing happened. And look how, what's going on over there in that part of the world. And, and it's no different. No different then. Both natural and human-driven atrocities and, 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 and terrible things going on. And Jesus addressed this conversation one time. This is Luke chapter 13. He addresses this. And so He says... Now, there were some present on that occasion, the occasion they were talking about at this time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Terrible thing that went on. And so Jesus answered them, Do you think these Galileans, do you think the folks that this happened to were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell? This is another atrocity that no doubt the story had, had rippled through the, the years. Those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So on the cross, this man's body was dying. And yet his spirit, was given life. But that required a change. It was a change that the other criminal apparently wasn't willing to make. Because remember, repentance results in what? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. That, that's a change in behavior that results from, from sorrow over disobeying God. And so repentance leads then, repentance leads the gossip to not only just stop gossiping, 
but to, but to change, to use their words then for building others up. And repentance leads the, the hater not to just stop hating, but to be more loving. Repentance leads the thief not to just stop stealing, but to serve others. The selfish are led to consider others. And so a heart of repentance isn't just just turned away from something sinful. It's turned towards something righteous and something godly. And so this man might have been nailed to the cross as a convicted thief. But you and I can now recognize him as a fellow heir to the kingdom of God along with all who call on the name of the Lord. And so it's often the case that the subject of this thief on the cross comes up when the subject of baptism is being discussed. And so the thief on the cross is used as an example of someone who was saved without being baptized. Strong argument. Well, first of all, there's not one single shred of Scripture in all of the Bible which says the thief was not baptized. Nowhere does it say that. And so when people argue salvation without baptism, by using this example, they're making an assumption that he was never baptized. And so they're assuming that since he was a condemned thief and was being executed, that he had never received any prior instruction on Jesus Christ and had never been baptized. And so the truth is, we don't know for sure whether or not he was baptized. Because the Bible doesn't say one way or the other. And so this man hanging beside our Lord, he had a lot of information somehow. And so it's highly unlikely that this man received all of this instruction about Jesus just while hanging on this cross. It's entirely possible, even probable, that this man had been exposed to some earlier teaching concerning Jesus, especially by John. John the baptizer. Remember, he preached baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's in Luke chapter 3. And so consider this scenario then. It's possible that this man could have been a disciple of John the Baptist or of Jesus himself as Jesus was going throughout the countryside and preaching the kingdom of God. Or perhaps he heard one of Christ's disciples. Remember, there was more than one occasion when Jesus sent disciples out two by two to preach the message of of the kingdom here. And so the man might have well been baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, the baptism of repentance, somewhere on some past occasion. We don't know. We don't know. And while we can never be certain this side of eternity, there is sufficient evidence to draw the conclusion that it's possible. Sure, it's possible. And at the very least, given the amount of the information that this man possessed, no one can rightfully make such a dogmatic statement that the thief was never baptized. You, just, you can't just put your foot down on that. It's an unknown factor. He could be an erring brother. And so anyone using the thief on the cross to support the teaching of salvation by faith alone is basing their belief on something that is improvable. You can't prove it either way. And so if you're going to make a decision that's going to have eternal consequences, shouldn't you make that decision based on facts and not assumptions? Jesus had the authority to forgive sins directly. we got plenty of examples of that, as He did many people whom He healed and came in contact with. But before 3 p.m. on that Friday afternoon, the Jews were living under the law of Moses. And the non-Jews 
We're living by conscience. We read about that in Romans. And so, when Jesus gave up His Spirit and the earth shook and the veil of the temple was torn in two, His teachings and His commands, His will, became the new law for all of mankind. And as Jesus unveiled the inception of this kingdom movement, what did He command the apostles after His resurrection? Matthew chapter 28 In verse 18, Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And those are the same instructions that Peter and the apostles would carry out in in some 50 days in the upper room in Jerusalem. Those are the same instructions that Peter would carry out at the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion that we looked at. The same instructions that Ananias would carry out when he was sent to Saul of Tarsus. And the same instructions that the Lord's church has been carrying out for 2,000 years. Yes, we are saved by faith alone. And the lone faith is in Jesus, that His blood has been accepted by God as payment for our sins. And we contact that blood when we are washed in the blood through baptism. And so that Christ's blood covers us. His blood makes us whole. We read this in Romans chapter 6. We read earlier, what shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So much as hanging on the cross with Jesus. And therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. And so God has displayed His wondrous grace in numerous ways, to people from from the time of Adam all the way up to the present time. And so this thief had been reviling God just a few hours earlier. And his time was up. (laughs) He was lost. And he knew it. No one was going to take him down from that cross until he was dead. And so in his last moments on this earth, he turned to the only person who could help him. And instead of finding someone bitter and angry, he found a Savior who was ready and willing and able to accept him and offer him life. And so this Savior turned that thief into a child of God. That's the same Savior that we have today. He's just as eager and just as willing and just as ready to save us as when He was dying on that cross. So two thieves died on a cross that day with a man named Jesus. And as far as we know, only one of them died with the Christ. And there is no reason whatsoever that anybody should leave today without the same hope that that thief had. But there is no hope without repentance because there is no room for a rebellious heart in the kingdom of God not today and not for eternity and the same Jesus who lovingly accepted the plea of a dying thief awaits patiently 
for the plea of anyone who would come to Him for life. So what say you today? Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind. Jesus Christ hung on a cross gave Himself up, not just His physical body, but His position of of royalty in God's kingdom when He condescended to this earth and put on this flesh and went through day after day after day of rejection, knowing, knowing what the big picture was, and yet people were not accepting it. And He did that for people like the thief, He did that for the men and the women who are locked up today. And He did it for each one of us who may be incarcerated in our own sinful ways. But He's ready to break you free. But you've got to repent. You've got to reject the way you've been living. Reject the way you've been thinking. And rejoice and accept the way of Christ. Submit yourself to Him. Confess your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness, the washing clean of those sins. And receive the gift of God's Spirit. The promise that you are an eternal child of God. This morning we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement, of thought, reflection. And if we can encourage you in any way by praying for you this morning, if we can rejoice with you, in your decision to make Jesus Christ King and Lord of your life, to acknowledge Him as your Savior, will you do so as we stand and sing this good song?